Good morning, UA. Um, hi. It's really good to be with you guys today. And um, we are on our second week of this series, Every Moment Holy. And so as we've um, come today, I have, uh, I have a question on my mind. And this question is, what makes someone holy? Uh, like I said, I've been asking myself this for a few months. So um, I'm a student, as Ronnie shared last week, at the Renovare Institute for Christian Spiritual Formation. And I just finished my first week-long residency, and it was hosted at a retreat center in Arizona. And every day uh, the, was basically the same. We had a morning, noon, and evening prayer. We had three lectures a day, and we all shared um, our three meals together. We had an extended time of prayer every day, and every night we took communion. It was a wonderful week, uh, and actually to say it was wonderful is uh, underselling it quite a bit. <laughs> um, and so on the very last night of my residency there, I walked out into the desert, as one does at 10 o'clock at night, um, with only a half moon to light the way. So. Uh, there was a little bit of desperation in my walk of the scorpions and, you know, all of the rustling that would happen and the coyotes. And though only one woman in North America has ever been killed by a coyote, I was convinced I would be the second one. Um, but I couldn't resist walking in the moonlight towards Camelback Mountain and talking with this God that I had just spent a really intense week with. Um, and in this very desperate prayer, I asked God, Lord, if you are willing, I'd like to be holy. So before the residency, and certainly after the residency, I have been um, exploring this question, trying to figure out exactly what it is I asked for. Uh, and I think a lot of us know that sometimes the scary thing is that we ask things of God when we don't really know what we're asking, and he gives it to us. <laughs> so I've been exploring, and I haven't really been able to come up with a specific answer, and thank God for that, because if I, at 26, or at any point in my life, was able to come up with a specific answer about what made someone holy, the idea of holiness would be very, very boring. But I have, I have a working concept, and so this is my little thesis statement. Holy people are those who want to be near Jesus daily. And I know that sounds simple, but it is certainly not trivial. So why, we'll start with the second half. Why does being near Jesus make us holy? So, Ben and I studied this concept of holiness, obviously, in preparation for this series called Every Moment Holy. Uh, and one of the things that really fascinated me as we studied was how the idea of holiness has changed within the Judeo-Christian faith over time. And so we'll start with the idea of being ritually unclean or impure. But for clarity's sake, we're going to stick with the term unclean. So before and during Jesus's life, God's presence was thought to be within the temple of Jerusalem. 
and there were outer courts and inner courts, um, and there was a really holy place where access was limited to priests. And then within this holy place was the holiest of holy places. And once a year, one priest was allowed to enter and sprinkle blood on the Day of Atonement. So this system really limited access to God. And if someone was not clean, they were limited in how close physically they could get to God. Because if you were unclean, you weren't allowed to enter the temple area. So, how do you become unclean? You become unclean by touching something that is unclean. And I think, the, so if you touch a dead animal, for example, um, you become unclean. And the thing that really scares me, or that would have scared me, is that if you touch someone who touched something that was unclean, and thus making them unclean, you would become unclean. So if I, was, if I lived in this time, I would be living in a constant state of anxiety about if I was clean or not. And if I had touched something unknowingly that was unclean, thus making me unclean. And as I said, if you were unclean, your access to God was limited. And this ritual, uh, this ritual cleanliness concept was the undercurrent of faith in Jesus' time. And as Jesus often does, we see him flip this idea on its head. So a really big group of people who were unclean were lepers uh, because people who had skin conditions were unclean. And so in Matthew 8, we see Jesus heal a man with leprosy. He touches him. He reaches out and touches him, and he makes him clean. Touching this leper should have made Jesus unclean. But instead, Jesus touches him and takes away his uncleanliness. He says, I have made you clean. Now this is a wild shift in this concept of holiness. Because it's no longer about spreading uncleanliness. But Jesus imbuing, Jesus spreading his own holiness. Rather than, rather than people who are unclean not having access to God, we see God the Son, Jesus, spending his time almost exclusively with those who are unclean. And so if we want to be clean, and dare I say holy, we need to be in close proximity to Jesus. Because with just a touch, we can be made clean. The problem, though, is that many of us don't want to be in such proximity to holiness. We don't want it to rub off on us. And this is why I've selected the calling of Matthew or Levi as our text for this morning. Because we see a man, by all accounts, who is considered unclean, at least morally <laughs> unclean, He's a tax collector 
for the Roman oppressors of his people. And not only that, he has grown rich off of it. He is not welcome at the tables of most Jewish people, and he's certainly not welcome at the tables of the religious elite, like the Pharisees and the scribes. But one day, a young rabbi approaches him at his booth, at his place where he is most sinful, and he says, follow me. And he does. That's why I love the CSB version, because it says he gets up and he leaves everything. And I need you to remember, this is a table full of money. And Matthew gets up and he leaves it and he follows him. And I really wish I had seen the looks of, of the faces on these, uh, these guards, these Roman guards that were surely guarding the table, making sure that none of the money slipped away. What must they have been thinking? Where is this guy going? <laughs> So not only does Matthew follow Jesus, he throws him a big party. And I can see the party in my mind's eye. There's lots of people and lots and lots of tax collectors. And I can see Jesus smiling and laughing as he sits with them. There's lots of jokes. I think that Jesus probably told a lot of jokes. <laughs> and then the cloud descends. The clean people, the scribes and the Pharisees, start complaining about Jesus sitting with these unclean people. Why is he hanging out with these guys? And though Jesus doesn't ask them who is holy, I think everything he says and does dances around this question. Who really is holy in this situation? Is it the religious elite who are looking down at the people at Jesus' table? Or is it Matthew who has decided to give up his home and his occupation and wander around with this rabbi? Matthew who has literally thrown a party for Jesus And also, the other thing I love about this is that Matthew clearly knows that he is not an exception. He knows that his other tax collector friends and colleagues are welcome at Jesus' table, too. And so I ask, who really is holy? Over the three years of Jesus' ministry, who do we see become holier day by day and more like his rabbi? Matthew. Who do we not see this behavior from, though they inadvertently followed him around, critiquing and criticizing his every move? These religious elites, we don't see them become holy. In fact, their behavior may make them, uh, over time, more critical. So during these three years, Matthew spends time with Jesus daily, not because he has to, but because he wants to. This unclean man who is made clean by Jesus becomes holier every day. And over the course of Matthew's life, we see him go from being a tax collector 
to one of the writers of our four Gospels. Who really is holy? Another example that I love, because it really isn't as crystal clear as Matthew's story, is when Mary of Bethany anoints Jesus. Now, this story is uh, detailed in the 12th chapter of John's Gospel. And John explains that Jesus is in the home of his three buddies, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're all siblings. Um, and Lazarus, he has recently raised from the dead, uh, been raised from the dead by Jesus in the preceding chapter. Uh, and they're having a dinner in Jesus' honor, probably because he raised one of these siblings from the dead. I hope we would all throw a party for Jesus in such circumstances. And so Mary, this firecracker of a lady, brings out this expensive perfume. And John details that it is worth about a year's worth of wages. And so for our purpose, as Texans living in Texas, our average income is $57,000 a year. So Mary brings $50,000 worth of perfume, and she pours it on Jesus' feet, the most dirty part of the, of the body. <laughs> she pours it on his feet, and she rubs it in with her hair. And of course, the cloud descends. And now we see Judas, a man who also spent every day with Jesus. He complains, and he says, but Lord, this could have been sold and the money given to the poor. And I love John. He's a very sassy man. And he makes it very clear that, G that Judas really wasn't interested in helping the poor. It's that Judas was in charge of the purse for the disciples. And he would often skim off the top what he wanted. And if I was doing this, I would be very upset that I could have skimmed off the top of $50,000. So G Judas was near Jesus every day for three years. Judas, who heard the teachings of Jesus from the front row, who ate with him, who slept near him, but whose behavior was dodgy at best and treacherous at worst. And in contrast, we see Mary of Bethany, who though she didn't see Jesus daily, every time she did see him, she welcomed him. She hosted Jesus in her home on numerous occasions. And this Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and learned from him, who Jesus said, Mary has made the better choice. And Mary, who wasn't afraid to confront Jesus and have a really hard conversation about why he didn't heal her brother. Mary, whose grief and tears made Jesus weep. Who is holier? And this leads me to the first part of my little thesis statement, my concept on what holiness is and who is holy. Holy people are people who want to be near Jesus every day. We have to want to be near him. We have to want for his holiness to rub off on us. And one of my favorite questions that Jesus asks people is the question he asks of the crippled man in the fifth chapter of John's gospel. He says, do you want to be made well? 
What a question. Do you want to be made well? Jenna, me, do you want to be made holy? Do you want to be holy? Often I don't think that we do. And I think that we need to be very honest with ourselves about this. I feel like a question like this can bring out a lot of shame in us. But I don't think we need shame. I think we need honesty. Oh, here I am. I lost my place. (laughs) And so I think when we come to this question, oftentimes we might be thinking, oh man, I really wish so-and-so was here to hear this. But I want to remind you that so-and-so is you. You sitting in this pew, you listening along at home online. Do you want to be holy? Really? Why wouldn't we, though? I think there's a lot of answers to that question. And I think this is also worth a lot of exploration. Because I know for me, I still worry about the things that I'll be giving up if I dive too too deep into being holy. But when I think really long and hard about these supposed things that I might miss out on, I don't really want them. What I really want is to be near Jesus. I want to be holy as he is holy. And I get this picture in my mind as I think of it. Um, Do we all know what a sinkhole is? Right? It's like a hole in the ground, and it's usually full of water, and it just keeps going and going and going, and you can't see the bottom of it. I think of this sinkhole, and next to it is a pool, and I really just want to dive into this really big pool that's also really shallow, And God is standing by the sinkhole, and he's saying, come, come dive in. Come dive into this holy life. And I worry that it's going to restrict me. But what I don't see is that the sinkhole goes far beyond the depth of the pool and opens up into a massive network of caves And it's beautiful, and it isn't restrictive at all. It's freedom, and it's so much better than the pool. (laughs) And jumping in means that I will be missing out on absolutely nothing. And so we should, we should all want to be holy. We should all want to be near Jesus, so near him that he can reach out and touch us and make us holy like him. Be holy as I am holy, God implored the Jews. And he implores us, be holy as I am holy. But if we want to be near the Holy One, we have to want to want to be near the Holy One. We have to have longing to long to be near the Holy One. And so before we move on, I do want to throw out a little rope of grace. My heart is still duplicitous. It is oftentimes still divided. But I think that the grace of God, the grace of God for those of us in this humble state of duplicity, is that God desires our longing to long. 
God desire, desire uh, God honors our wanting to want to be near him. And so I believe that even when our desire to be near Jesus is half-hearted, he still allows his holy character to rub off on us. This is why Ben and I have chosen this topic, Every Moment Holy. We want to give tools for how we can be near Jesus, and by extension, become the holy people that God is asking us to become. We gave you these prayers, and just as a reminder, they're in the back and over here. We gave you these prayers from this book, Every Moment Holy, uh, because it's our hope that they will be helpful in bringing our anxious minds our duplicitous hearts, back towards God's presence. That these prayers can help wake us up to the holy moments around us. And I just want to remind us that we don't want to be holy for the sake of being holy. I want to become holy, and I understand this is a really big statement, and this could be a whole class, so pardon me. I want to become holy because the holier that I am, the closer I can be to the Holy One, and the more at ease I can be in the Holy One's presence. I want to be holy so that I can be like Matthew and have the good sense to throw a party for Jesus and sit with him. I want to be holy so that like Mary, I can have the gratitude for him and also throw him a dinner party and pour $50,000 worth of perfume on his feet just because I love him. Becoming holy isn't about us. It's about Jesus. So think, pray. Do you really want to be made well? Do you really want to be part of this holy priesthood, as Peter says? Do you really want to be holy as God is holy? And whatever your answer to that question is, I want you to remember the crippled man from John chapter 5. Because Jesus is not only willing, he's jumping at the chance to touch you and make you well. But first he will ask, do you want to become holy.